You guys can take your seats. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the leaders here at the Mountain Church, and uh, I just want to welcome you to our Easter celebration this morning. Um, we are a new church. This is kind of the, the Sunday that we're viewing as our going public. Uh, so many of you probably received a mailer. Uh, you saw ads on Facebook. We kind of went all out uh, trying to spread the word that we're here, um, we're about the gospel, and we, we want to meet you. We want to invite you to join us. Uh, with that being said, there are what we have, these called connection cards that are on the bar um, in this little coffee room here. If you're curious about who we are, uh, you want to grab coffee with me or a burger or just find out more information about who we are, uh, please fill one of these out. And there's a little lock box right here on this sound booth edge, or you can just give it directly to me. Um, I would love to, to meet with you and, and uh, figure out and know how I can serve you and pray for you. So uh, well, with that being said, how many of you guys would be shocked if you heard a pastor say on Easter, God doesn't love you? Hopefully most of you, right? <laughs> That's not a message that you would hear on, it, on an Easter morning. Maybe, the, maybe this is your first time uh, gathering with the church on Easter, and I just want to let you know that would not be normal um, if you came to Easter and you heard uh, God doesn't love you. And, and let, me, let me list three reasons why he doesn't love you. I think the reason that would be so shocking is because if you're familiar with Christianity at all, uh, maybe you've been to an Easter gathering before, you are somewhat familiar with the Christian faith, you know that one of the big things that Christianity is about is the love of God, right? That would be a shock. It's kind of assumed, right? Like you don't even have to be a Christian to know that, yeah, God loves you, right? Can I get a show of hands, some nods? Yes. Well, I grew up in the church, um, gathering with believers every week, um, since I was a, a young boy, I, I was taught that Jesus loved me. I sang songs about it, uh, knew the Bible, I had heard this story, but for the majority of my life, the love of God was not real to me. I knew about it, but it wasn't real. It, it didn't affect me. It didn't change me. I, I wasn't experiencing it. The Bible bored me. Uh, listening and coming to a, a Sunday gathering where this old guy would get up and talk for 45 minutes about some big idea from a sermon, that was really lame to me. Hey, listening to people stand up in robes, sing songs that were really boring, I mean, it was lame music. It just bored me. God bored me. I was not a happy person. I was not joyful. I was not peaceful. I was not godly. I was angry. I was self-righteous. I was grossly hypocritical. I was smug. And maybe that's you this morning. You've heard about the love of God. Maybe it's assumed in your life, but it's not changing you. You're not experiencing it. You know the songs. You might even know your Bible. You might even know the, the message of Christianity, and yet for you, it has no weight, no meaning, no impact. Maybe you're here this morning. You're curious about the claims of Christianity. You've had some sort of exposure to church, to Christians, and you're a little bit curious. You've heard some things. You want to check it out for yourself. Maybe you're really skeptical. Like the only reason that you're here is because your wife drug you and because there was an Easter egg hunt for your kids, so you thought, well, if I just listen and get through this part, then my kids are happy with candy. <laughs> Maybe for you, Easter is a fun holiday to enjoy chocolate bunnies, right? It's a, it's a fun holiday to share a meal with your family. Wherever you're at, the goal, the point, the emphasis of this sermon, where I'm going this morning, in light of Easter, in light of this passage that our friend Nathan just read, is that there is nothing more powerful nothing more meaningful 
Nothing more life-changing, nothing more satisfying than knowing God in Jesus and experiencing his love. So that's where I'm going. Uh, before we get into the passage, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, open them with me to that passage that Nathan just read, uh, Ephesians 3. We're looking at verses 14 through 21. If you don't have a Bible uh, with you this morning, we have some on this bar out here. We'd love to give you one. Uh, there's some Gospel Transformation Bibles. There's ESV Bibles. Uh, we'd love to give you one. If you want to get up right now and grab one, that's cool too. Um, or else you want to open them on your phone, the, the fake Bible, whatever you have, or you just want to listen along. <laughs> In God's providence and timing, where we've come so far is we've been studying through the book of Ephesians as a church, uh, and what we've got up to this point is that Paul has kind of laid out the gospel in Ephesians 1 through 3. Paul has written this letter to churches, to the saints in Ephesus, and he explains what it means to be in Christ. It's kind of his central theme, in Christ, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have your identity in Christ, what it means to have your life transformed by Christ, and he lists out what has happened in, in chapters 1 through 3. He says that in Christ, you have received every spiritual blessing. In Christ, you have been adopted. In Christ, you have been redeemed. In Christ, you have been sealed. Paul then goes on in the later half of chapter one to pray for the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to bring enlightenment to their hearts so that they would know three things, hope and love and riches, or hope and power and love, or something, some three things. If I would look at my nose more carefully, I would know those things. Hope, riches, and power. There it is. Paul prays that the Spirit would be revelation and knowing Christ. He then goes on to explain the gospel further in chapter 2. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but Christ has made you alive. By grace you have been saved. Not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not because of work so that no one may boast, it's simply the grace of God. He then explains what it means to be a church, that now there is no longer Jew and Gentile, there is one man, that all nations now have equal access to God. There's equal heirs. It doesn't matter what race, what background you're from, what cultural, uh, social context you're from, all are one in Christ. And then now Paul is, is voicing a second prayer, this prayer here in, in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. He argued, he voices a prayer that they would experience and know the love of God. And it's important that we have this background of what's going on in these chapters to, I think, to better grasp what he's trying to get at. That he's laid out the gospel, and now he's praying that they will experience it. If you're here this morning, and you, maybe you're curious, what is the gospel? And I would encourage you to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Dead in trespasses, Christ has made you alive by grace. This is why I get so excited as a pastor. This is why I'm a Christian is because I believe in the gospel. And uh, I think it's completely radical, completely unique, completely life-changing. Completely different than what I thought was Christianity growing up in the church, which was religion. Right? Does, you know the difference between religion and the gospel and, and irreligion? Okay, you could, all kind of religions, uh, whatever it is, I could, I could argue that you could sum them up with the following sentence. I obey, therefore I'm accepted, right? So I, I read my Bible really hard. I know the Ten Commandments or whatever religion you might be a part of. I just, just try really hard to obey the rules. Then I achieve God's love. Like he owes that to me. I, I earn it. All right, an, an irreligious person might say, well, you know, I, I'm just really trying hard to love myself. You know, forget God. Uh, it's just trying to, hard to love myself religious person will try to achieve the love of God. In the gospel, it's not achieved, it's received. The gospel, you don't say, I'm, 
I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel is I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Does that make sense? It's a completely new way to think about identity, love. It's not trying hard to earn, to strive to get things. It's receiving and living out of that. And this is what Paul's praying for, that this truth of what it means to be uh, a Christian, what it means to believe the gospel, that it would become real in your life. So let's jump right in. Uh, I, I like preaching through the Bible verse by verse, so that's what we kind of do here at the Mountain Church. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're in, right now we're going to jump right into chapter 3, verses 14. Looking at Paul's prayer, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Paul is saying, because of these realities that I briefly highlighted from Ephesians 1 through the middle of, of chapter 3, because of the realities of this is true in Christ, I'm praying. I'm bowing my knees. I'm kneeling. Now, in the Jewish tradition, uh, standing, in fact, was the normal posture for prayer. Kneeling was used, bowing your knee was used when you had really an urgent prayer, like an honest, uh, there was a sense of urgency about what you were asking before God. So Paul is on his knees pleading with God. Uh, This is a very important prayer. He says, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. This is just a way of saying that uh, all things are created by God. All things get their identity from God. The naming in the Bible was used as a way of uh, giving someone identity and defining them, uh, giving them identity. The word family also comes from the Greek word father, which expresses God's sovereignty and dominion over all things. Paul is just saying that everything in heaven and earth gets its identity, its meaning, its origin, its name from the father. He's honoring God, highlighting God's sovereignty and authority. And this is what he asks. But according to the riches of his glory, the the riches is just his abundant wealth, his glory is a way of describing the beauty of God, that he would grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. We just break down what those words mean. Uh, Strengthened, right? We know what strengthened is to become strengthened, to gain strength. Paul is praying that God would grant them to be bolstered, to increase, to build up, to give them energy, fortitude, to do something that beforehand they couldn't have done. The capacity to do something that they formerly weren't able to do. And he's praying with power, the possession of a controlling influence. This is all coming through the spirit, the strength coming through the spirit in your inner being. It's another way of describing the soul. It's very similar to the word that Paul uses in verse 17 with the word heart. It's the seat of one's consciousness. So Paul is praying to God that out of the abundant wealth and resources of perfection, his beauty, who he is, his glory, he will strengthen you with the ability to control power through the spirit in your soul so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts. Christ would inhabit your heart. Now the heart in the Bible is a little bit different than how we describe the heart, right? In our culture and American Western thought, the heart is kind of viewed as the seat of emotions, right? Well, in the, in the ancient world, the heart was encompassed more than that. It would include logic and reason. It included will, include the seat of the entire personality. It was like the control center. So what Paul is praying is out of the abundant resources of his glory, he would grant you to be strengthened so that Christ would control you. Christ would be the center of your thoughts. Christ would be the center of your, your mind, your will. Christ would be central to your commitments, your hope, your happiness, your emotions. The foundation of your entire being would be on the indwelling presence of Christ. And the reality is that whether we like this or whether we disagree with this, there is something right now in your heart that is dwelling there, you could say. There is something right now in your heart that controls you. 
And I, I think whatever you're dwelling on in your heart affects you, controls you, uh, because I believe that you're controlled by what you seek. What do I mean by this? If my ultimate goal is to seek approval from others, then I will be controlled by how well I perceive people approving me. Does that make sense? If I seek, first, if I seek above all things sexual pleasure, then I will be controlled on whether or not I'm experiencing sexual pleasure. If I seek riches above all things, I will be controlled by riches. If I have a lot, I'll be very happy. I'll be fulfilled. If suddenly something happens to my riches, I'll be devastated. My joy will be gone. My happiness will be gone. If I seek comfort above all things, then I'll be controlled by comfort. I will only do things that make me comfortable or I will avoid things that are in, uncomfortable to me. And I think you could go on and on. I think hopefully you understand, like I'm communicating while I'm trying to get across. And I would argue this morning that there is something better that you could seek ultimately, and that is Christ, that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Paul prays that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Think about here, Paul's trying to give us a plant illustration. How many of you have ever tried to pull a tree out by the roots? Okay, not a lot, because it doesn't really make sense, right? It's hard. The reason why we have stump grinders. Paul is praying that this love of Christ would be so rooted, it would bring stability. It would bring nourishment. These, these tree roots that provide stability for the tree, nourishment for the tree, Paul is praying that this love of Christ would be your stability, would be your nourishment. I want you to draw your identity from Christ, and I want you to be grounded in it like laying a firm foundation in this love. And Paul prays again, again for strength in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Comprehend here, it means to grasp intellectually, to get the meaning of something. So I'm arguing before we can experience the love of, of God in Christ, we, we need to know it Intellectually. So experiencing, knowing the love of God in Christ means intellectually grasping. That's what Paul's first getting at. Then he says something more in verse 19. So have strength to comprehend and, verse 19, to know the love of Christ. Now, if you haven't been studying with us this far, it's important to note that Paul wrote this letter to Christians. He wrote this letter to the church, to the saints, to believers. When you read through this prayer, it can be a little confusing, a little puzzling. Paul prays that they would know the love of Christ. Well, we just talked about in our introduction that you don't even have to be a Christian to know that God loves you, right? You don't have to believe that to know that you've heard that. Shouldn't all Christians know the love of God in Christ? Shouldn't they? Yeah. Shouldn't they kind of assumed? I mean, if they're Christians, don't they know the love of Christ? Why is Paul praying for them to know the love of Christ? Why would the apostle pray for the Ephesians to get something that they already know? Well, in the original language, this word know means to know experientially. It means to know or have knowledge about someone or something as required through the senses, experiential. And I think here's what Paul is getting at. It's possible to know about something and not experience it. It's possible to believe and trust in Christ, but not completely but have it not be completely different to a completely different thing. Let me, I just butchered that whole line. I'm just going to restart. Is that cool? 
It's possible to know about something and not experience it. It's possible to believe in the love of Christ, but it's a completely different thing to experience it in your soul. To experience it in your thoughts, in your consciousness, in your affections, in your identity, the totality of who you are. And my, my second point this morning is that I would argue knowing the love of Christ means experiencing it. This brings me back to my thesis, my aim, my goal, that there is nothing more powerful, more life-giving, more important, more satisfying, more comforting, more delightful than knowing God in Christ and experiencing his love. I think all people need to intellectually and experiment, experientially know this love. All people are in desperate need to, to know and experience this. They just might not know it, right? Maybe that's you this morning. I think it's incredible when we think about the context of this letter, the context of this historical, cultural background, that of all the things Paul asks for, for this church, this is what he asks for. This first century world that was full of uh, sickness and disease, persecution, uh, thieves and robbers. Paul doesn't pray, okay, God, I pray that you would give them um, health doesn't pray that they would give them protection from thieves and robbers, protection from sicknesses and pestilence. I pray that they would give protection from financial worry. I pray that they would give healthy children. Paul doesn't pray any of those things. And some of you may think this morning that the biggest problem in your life is a lack of resources. Or if I just had more money, I would be more happy. Maybe you think, well, if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband then I'd be happy. Maybe you think if I just had a better husband. (laughs) If I had a better job, I would be happy. You think, whatever it is, this, this is the big problem in my life. And I think Paul would argue, you're wrong. If you had what I'm praying for, you would be okay in any circumstance. If you had what I'm praying for you, you could handle anything. You need this more than you need anything else. The answer to your misery, your insecurity, your anxiety, your greed, your neediness, your self-centeredness, your loneliness, your lack of happiness will always fall short, will never fully satisfy you apart from Christ. I think that's what Paul's getting at here. Only Christ can bring true, deep, meaningful life change that lead to fullness of joy. I think we all need this if we're honest having a good look at our soul. I need this a lot. I'm a people pleaser. My happiness and my joy will a lot of times depend on how well I think I preached. Like right now, some of you are making me sad because it looks like you're checking out, right? That's making me sad. You're not approving of my message. So my joy is is lower. Right? You guys with me? I get enslaved to others' opinions. I get stressed. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. More clapping would be nice, yeah. I stress over other people's opinions. I stress over others' approval of me. And what I need most is continually refreshing experiences of the love of Christ. What I need most is for the love of Christ to become so real to me that it is as real, if not more real, than any love I experience from others. I'm freed from the misery of people-pleasing only when Christ's approval, Christ's love is actualized in my life. I'm experiencing it so that it's more important than my wife's love, 
It's more important than my parents' love, my, my daughter's love, my pastoral success, my financial stability. That is when I am truly happy. A guy by the name of Tim Keller, who planted a church in New York a while ago and recently retired, uh, said it like this. He says, right now, you may say, well, I know God loves me, but this person has criticized me. Or this person says you failed and now I'm devastated. That's because you know it, but you don't know the love of God. You haven't grasped it. You haven't gripped it. I want Christ to dwell in your heart by faith. Until then, you're kind of living an incongruent life, a kind of phony life, a powerless life. You know it. It's true of you, but you're not drawing on it. This is what Paul is praying for. Experience the love of God in Christ. This is the key to escaping enslavement from money and sex and success and comforts that don't bring lasting satisfaction, that always leaves you wanting more. This is the key, not trying to love those things less, but being overpowered by the love of God in Christ. Overpowered by the love of God in Christ so that all these other things seem less important. That's the key to change. This is the true test of, I think, someone who's growing in as a Christian, growing and experiencing love, and then it changes them. It begins to change the way they think, change their joy, change their peace, change their happiness. This is what I think Paul is getting at in verse 19. The true chest of someone actually knowing Christ, they are being changed. He says in verse 19, it says to know the love of God in Christ, to experience it, that it surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now in the New Testament, this phrase, the fullness of God, it's a way of describing a pattern of life, fullness of life. What Paul is saying is, here's how you know you've begun to actually have an emotional experience that is lasting, that you're experiencing love of Christ, that you're actually experiencing it in your innermost being, in your soul, and your heart. It actually changes the way that you live. I think this is helpful for those who maybe have been really hurt or burned by church or by other Christians. Any of you guys met Christians that honestly were just some of the worst people you've ever met? Honestly, some of the meanest things that people have said to me have been from quote-unquote Christians. I think this is helpful for us to, to think about this because it, it means it's possible that you know about Jesus, but it's not changing you. I think this is actually a huge stumbling block for a lot of people coming to understand the gospel is these posers, these people who are living incongruent lives. They say they believe it, but it's not changing them. They say they confess faith in God, but it's not transforming the way they live. They're not experiencing the love of God in Christ. They're not loving people. They're not accepting. They're certainly not patient. They're certainly not kind. I would argue that if you are a Christian, you confess faith in Jesus, that you should be and becoming more and more patient, more and more loving, more and more accepting, more and more gracious, more and more patient. And if you're not, that's a great time to look at your heart. What are, you, what are you dwelling on? What are you seeking most? It would be like if you were homeless, didn't have a car, didn't have a, didn't have a job, didn't have a place to live, didn't have a lot of money, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, you get this letter from a long, distant relative who gives you a huge sum of money. Huge. I mean, you could buy 50 houses, 50 cars, and still have leftovers. 
a Christian who professes faith in Jesus and yet it's not actually changing them is just like a homeless person who gives this large amount of money and yet it doesn't change the way they live. They have a bunch of money in the bank and yet it's not changing the way they live. It's there, they're not using it. They're not drawing from it. Does that make sense? Experiencing the love of God in Christ should radically change the way you live. Another test of this is uh, the fullness of God in Christ. Paul says a similar phrase in his letter to the church of Colossae. He says in Colossians 1.19 that in Christ the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Which I think means as you experience the love of Christ, you should be growing to look like Christ. Like he's kind of the measuring stick. Christ becoming like him, growing like him. I think this is what our city needs most. Not more people who go to a church. Not more people who know about Jesus or know about their Bibles. What Des Moines, what this community, what this city needs is someone who has been experiencing the love of God so that it's changing them and they are now radically for others. They're outpouring themselves to others in love and kindness and graciousness. This is what the city needs. This is what you need to experience the love of Christ and live out of that. So you're here this morning, you're thinking, all right, this sounds great. Okay, Daniel, I, I, I kind of know what you're saying now. So what? How do I get there? What are some things that I can do? I, I want to experience, I mean, it sounds good, right? I hear you talking about it, love of God and Christ. I mean, it sounds good. How do I get that? How do we get from knowing about Easter to having the reality of what Easter means transform the way we live? And I could say a lot about this uh, if you wanted to hang around and break for lunch, come back a little later. But I have four simple things that I would love to talk with you further if you have any questions about what this means. Uh, four simple things of knowing the love of God in Christ happens through the Spirit. And number one, gospel-centered repentance and faith. Repentance and faith that comes as a gift from God through the Holy Spirit in the gospel, you have to start there. You have to start where Paul starts in Ephesians 1 through 3, the gospel. We experience the love of Christ first as we place our faith in the gospel, after we have faith in Jesus. Apart from faith in the gospel, what I'm saying right now, we're just going to bounce off. Like the, like the things of God are going to bore you. Sermons are going to be like, horrible pain for you. Like right now, you might be thinking, oh, just get me out of this. Wrap it up, please. Let's just get to the chocolate. <laughs> Unless you have faith, this, this is not going to make a deep, meaningful impact on your life. Well, I'm, I'm talking about the love of God in Christ, which I kind of relate to. I think about like a juicy, fat, thick piece of meat, a steak. I love food. I love eating. I think about this juicy piece of steak. And I'm describing it to you guys. Oh, it's, it's sweet. It's life-changing. There's nothing better than biting into this steak. But what, apart from faith, me describing this steak to you is going to look like a pile of trash. Apart from the gospel and faith, you will not taste and see the sweetness of Christ. You have to confess that nothing, you don't have what it takes inside yourself to experience life-changing joy, to experience flourishing. You have to realize that you are hopeless. You're miserable. 
you have to realize that following your God of sex or money or self-comfort has led to coming up short. Like that line that you're trying to find is you're always coming up short of it. Comforts are never enough for you. Sex is never enough for you. You're always hungry for more. You're never satisfied. Unless you realize this, the reality of your weakness, your flaws, the gospel, God's grace, God's love will never change you. Maybe you're here this morning and you believe that there is a stake there that I'm talking about. Like it's not, it's not a pile of garbage to you, it's a stake. You want it, right? But what Paul is getting at is here is, okay, don't just talk about a stake. Don't just take Instagram pictures of a stake and share it with your friends. Don't just describe it to the best of your detail. Like actually get out the fork and knife and dig into it. Bite it, taste it, experience it. I pray that the Spirit would give you that this morning, right now. Like, you're hungry. I want to experience this love of God in Christ. I want to taste it. Pray that we could eat steak together and enjoy God together. I believe that from this passage, if Christianity is true, if Jesus is alive, if he really rose from the grave on the third day, then there should be a community of people who are being transformed to look like him right? There should be a group of people that are being, becoming more like Jesus. I believe this is the best apologetic. Like this is the best proof of Christianity. I could get up here and talk about all the historical, you know, evidence for the real resurrection of the grave. I could talk about the philosophical arguments, try to prove to the best of my ability that Jesus really did rose from the grave. And here's why. But what I've seen be more impactful, more life-changing is just inviting you to join us as we are changed by Jesus. Like you want to know if Jesus is real, join us. You'll see it as he's transforming us. That sounds arrogant, I know. That sounds prideful, but it's happening. I'm not the same person I was even two years ago. I can look out at, at the church members in this room and say, yeah, there's people that were really cheap that are growing in generosity. There are people that were really selfish that are now becoming selfless. There are people that love to be served that are now wanting to serve others. Only Jesus can do this, and he's working right now in this church. Two and three are kind of similar on how to experience the love of God in Christ, gospel-centered prayer and gospel-centered study. Seems like for a lot of people in church or a lot of Christians, it's kind of, they like to highlight one or the other. Or you have the person who, yeah, I've, I've studied my Bible and I've gone through every book. I know the Bible back and forth and yet there's no prayer. There's no kind of uh, spirit involvement. And there's people on the far other side that are like kind of out there, maybe a little mystical, maybe a little charismatic, all about prayer, all about the Holy Spirit, yet they don't know the Bible at all. You know? No? There's people who really love the, the head knowledge or really love the, the heart being transformed, you know, just really feeling it. You need both. These two things go hand in hand. Comprehend, it means to grasp intellectually. We talked, we talked about it. And what's cool about this word, it doesn't just mean grasp intellectually, but it has connotations of like going after aggressively. Like almost being hostile to overtake something. Paul is praying that, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give you strength to go after the love of Christ. 
to know it, to know the, the height and the breadth and the length. I don't think I would do you justice this morning if you're here this morning and maybe you are a Christian, you're part of a church, and you say, well, I, I just feel disconnected from God. I'm not experiencing his love. I hope one day that I'll feel it. There is an active participation that we have to have going after it. We don't just sit around and say, okay, God, hit me with it. <laughs> there is an intentionality, aggressiveness that we have to go after. And we can't just say, well, if we just study our Bibles hard enough, if I just have one more Bible study, if I just get this study guide and fill all it out right and I know my Bible, then I'll experience it. It goes hand in hand, prayer and the word. Finally, number four. Knowing the love of God in Christ through the Spirit happens in gospel-centered community. You have to be doing things in the community. Do you see what Paul said there in verse 18? It says, I pray that you have strength to comprehend, to go after intellectually, aggressively with all the saints. Paul doesn't pray, I pray that you go after this all by yourself. Paul doesn't pray, I'll give you strength to comprehend all on your lonesome. It says, with the saints. I don't think we can fully experience the love of God just on our own. This is, I think the church is so central to understanding this. Community is so central to this. I was thinking about this this week, but have you ever noticed how uh, when you're hanging around people for a long time, you start to pick up their mannerisms? You start to say words that they say. Maybe even in the same way they say it. You start to laugh like them even. Like you see this kind of phenomenon when someone laughs and it's, someone has a really loud laugh and then everyone kind of, kind of like, copies it? No? Remember, I, remember, guys, I like clapping. I like nods. Yeah. We need people who have also have been changed by Christ to help us pick up the mannerisms of Christ. We need people that they understand this concept, like they're very patient people. We need to learn from them how to be more patient. God has uniquely gifted the church and given each people different gifts to reflect him. And as we come together, we can better reflect him together. As we gather with other Christians, we go closer together in Christ. And it's key here, the gospel-centered part of the community. Like we don't just want to be a community that shares experiences or shares backgrounds. We want to be a group of people all from different backgrounds, all from different classes, races, reflecting Jesus in different ways, coming together to experience the love of God in community, becoming more like the, peop the person that we love most, which is Jesus. If you're here this morning and any of this kind of entices you, you're curious about it, I would, like I said, seriously, fill out one of these cards for me. I, I'm being honest when I say I'd love to talk with you, meet with you. Even you're here this morning and you think, wow, music was really lame. That preacher was, man, he talked for a long time. I mean, God, was this like when it was 45 minutes? I think I'm looking for something different. I pray with other pastors in Des Moines. I'd love to point you in the right direction. If this is what you're looking for, right? I'd love to step in and journey with you on your uh, walk to know and experience Jesus. If you want to experience Jesus with us, 
join us. We're a growing, learning community who wants to be centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe this message is so important that it can actually change lives. I like the clapping, yeah, it's nice. It can change lives, it can change communities, and it can change the city for the good. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, I pray now that you would, as Paul prayed, that you would send your spirit now to uh, make the love of God in Christ real to us, that we would taste it. Father, I pray for someone who here this morning that, that, that's committed, that was trying out, uh, trying out the mountain church, what it was about, what it was like, and maybe they're here this morning and they're disconnected, they're distant, their heart is cold, their affections for you are small, like they're love for you is small. They, they love a lot of other things more than they love you. They love lunch more than they love you. They're thinking about it right now. Like, just let me get to lunch right now. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit now to those here who are curious about the gospel. They don't have, they don't have yet placed their faith in you, but they want to learn more. Maybe something I said or maybe something in this word enticed them. They are curious if this Jesus is true, what does it mean? I pray that your spirit would bring clarity to them. And Father, lastly, I pray for those who are skeptical, for those who uh, don't know you, don't believe in you, reject you. That you would give them grace. That you would show your goodness to them. And Father, whenever they're ready, whenever they reach the end of the rope, whenever they've realized that there is nothing in this world really satisfies, that they realize that if nothing in this world completes me or satisfies me, then I must be made for something out of this world. Would you reveal yourself to that person now? So Father, we love you. We praise you now. We thank you for that you have rose from the grave, that you have proven yourself the victor. That we can say all of this because you rose from the dead. If you didn't, then I would be at home eating nachos right now, Father. But since you rose from the grave, we give ourselves to knowing this to experiencing this and offering this love and this hope that we receive freely from you to others in this community, in this neighborhood, and in this city for your glory. In your son's name I pray, amen.